Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hey, part of what we want to be doing on this show is just sort of bringing you insights and strategies to help you, obviously, as a mission-driven messenger to become more well-known, but also as an entrepreneur to become more savvy and sophisticated. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about tax strategy and investing, which may not seem always that exciting, but specifically... I've asked this guest to be on the show. We're going to talk about a tool called self-directed IRAs. We'll explain what that means, why you might care about them, how you potentially use them, and you know immediate action steps. But let me introduce you to Henry Yoshida. So Henry was referred to me by one of the smartest people I know, Jason Dorsey. He's been on the show a couple times. He's a close friend. We're best friends in real life. His company is who we use to do our Trends and Personal Branding National Research Study. And Jason told me that Henry is one of the smartest people that he's ever met. So that said a lot because I was asking Jason about self-directed IRAs. And then I got to learn about Henry. So Henry is the CEO and he's the co-founder of a company called Rocket Dollar. So this is a fintech, financial technology. It's a fintech platform that lets people invest tax-advantaged retirement dollars into private alternative investments. Now, that's a mouthful. We're going to break that apart and help you understand what that means. But Henry is a CFP, so he's a certified financial planner. In fact, he's been a CFP since he was 22 years old. He was the youngest CFP at Merrill Lynch, which is where he worked for 10 years. He's also a professional licensed realtor, and he's got 20 years of experience in finance. He actually was the founder of a venture-backed company, which was a robo-advisor company called Honest Dollar that was acquired by Goldman Sachs. And he is the founder of another group that has managed, had $2.6 billion in assets under management. Um, he graduated from the University of Texas, UT at Austin, has an MBA <laughs> from Cornell University. And you know now is building his like personal brand and expertise really around these kind of like vehicles of self-directed IRAs and rocket dollar, among other things. So with that, Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rory. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah. Really excited to be here. And Jason's spoken very, very highly of yourself. I mean, he literally he took time I'm pretty from much his the vacation to for talk his about su- you. I am the reason for his success. So he should be speaking highly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Denise first and you second, I'm sure. <laughs> Denise first. Yes, Denise for sure. But, you know, so I was asking him about self-directed IRAs and was something, you know, we always had 401k you know, I think I had a Roth IRA when, like when I was 22 years old or something and started learning about that, but only recently learned about this tool called a self-directed IRA. So can you just like high level layman's terms, tell us what is a self-directed IRA? Sure. Self-directed IRA, it's a pretty terribly nondescriptive term for a type of IRA. So the way we explain it and the way it's become known A self-directed IRA is an IRA account, very bespoke product. A lot of people in America have these accounts, know generally about how they work. But 
A self-directed IRA is one that lets you keep the same tax treatment, tax benefits of a regular IRA that you would have in any brokerage firm. But instead of public stocks, bonds, mutual funds, index fund ETFs, you can make private and alternative investments. So anything that the IRS allows, which is anything from real estate to digital currency to making private investments into a friend's startup technology business, those all can be done inside of an IRA if you have a specialized provider that could do self-directed IRA. So that's what it is. Just think private and alt investments with the same tax benefits for an IRA what you can do. Yeah. So basically this becomes a vehicle that I can take my money. And if I don't like the public markets or don't want to put it there for whatever reason, or I have more there and I just want to, I want to invest in other things, like some of the things you mentioned. I mean, crypto has been obviously a hot topic in recent years, real estate, et cetera. I can then use this account as a retirement account. I can do those investments. I can control those investments all the way to private companies and even debt instruments, et cetera, but have the same tax treatment, meaning it is tax deferred. So all the money I put in there, those investments are going to stay. Those assets are going to grow, hopefully, if I do a good job of stewarding that well and managing it well. And then when I retire, I take it out and then I'm taxed on the gains there. So exactly like an IRA, it's just, it has more flexibility into what kinds of things I can invest into. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because the industry, you know, it's almost so much so that you said you and Jason were talking about this, that people think that an IRA can only invest in public market securities or some derivative of it, like a mutual fund. But the reality is that the ability to invest in things that aren't public market securities has actually existed since the inception of IRAs. It's just not as well known. It's not as well. There aren't a lot of providers in that space. So really, you know, my company's mission and sort of my own personal background was thinking that now, maybe to properly diversify, someone should create a very simple, very affordable you know, household brand name to let people do private investments inside of an IRA, because that's where a lot of investment opportunities are. But you're exactly right. The gains, everything is in there is tax deferred. And if and when you sell these investments in retirement, that's when you actually pay taxes. So you can control it just like your regular IRA right now. And so basically... There is some compliance and headaches and regulations and paperwork and details and kind of like that stuff around starting a self-directed IRA. And what you guys do is you basically created a, a vehicle where it's like you can, you know, for a pretty low, very low fee, you can just, you guys can deal with all that. And then now I can open an account and it gives me the ability to manage and do whatever I want to do. Exactly. And our fee is structured that way because since these are self-directed, people typically find these investments on their own. So we're not a mutual fund company creating a packaged product and then we charge the customer a management fee for however much money they put with us. But our fee is actually just a one-time flat fee because we typically are not sourcing those investments for the individual. Our ongoing fee and our sign-up fee are just flat dollar amounts, 360 upfront and 15 a month. It's just there to cover exactly what you mentioned, the not so fun part, because this is an audio podcast, but you know, I can see your face when you say paperwork, compliance, the setting up painful and so forth. Yeah, it's painful. So what and that's why when you said earlier, you said like the idea of alternative investments in an IRA has existed for a long time, but you don't hear about it because there hasn't been as much of a way to like sort of deal with that stuff in a really smooth fashion. And that's kind of the problem you guys are trying to solve, right? That part, and then I've been very public about talking about this too, it's that the existing industry players that provide IRAs to the vast majority of the American public, 
they're also the manufacturers of these packaged products as well. So it doesn't really, there's no real incentive for them to allow Rory to invest in Jason Dorsey's business, for example, using an account at a major existing provider because there's no management fee that they can take for doing so because that's a deal between you two yeah, um, and yeah. so forth. So that's another reason that that's why this industry really hasn't become as well known. But you'll find that sophisticated investors have been doing this for decades. And yeah. there are several hundred billion dollars of IRA monies inside of private investments. Yeah. So here was my initial question. So I'll ask you because this was the catalyst, right? So the catalyst for me was going... You know, we've always done 401k IRA. We've got that. We've got, you know, somebody that manages that. And, you know, but we are wanting to kind of start doing more with real estate. And the <laughs> thought was going, golly, we've got all of this money in public markets, which we don't fully understand and we don't follow it that closely. We would love to do more in real estate and go, gosh, maybe we should take some of that money and put it over here into real estate. And my honest first thought was going, how can we use that money to buy a vacation home? Is there a way that we can take some of our retirement dollars, put it into a self-directed IRA and use that to then basically buy like a second home that we would rent out and use? Now, I think you can't do that, right? What I've learned is you're not yeah. allowed to do anything, not invest in real estate that you get a personal benefit from. Is that right? Exactly. No personal benefit. It's a prohibited transaction is the technical term. Dang it. So then you can invest into things, but you can't get personal benefit. So I can't buy artwork and hang it on my wall at my house. Like you can't do that kind of thing. And artwork is a collectible. So that's actually one of the two things that are specifically disallowed inside of an IRA generally. But it's kind of interesting that we're in a 2022, almost 2023 world now that many investments are actually now securitized. So it's kind of crazy, but the private investment world now allows stock certificates that are actually backed by a piece of famous artwork or a collectible baseball card and so forth. And there's websites that do that. And if the investment is properly securitized, then actually IRA providers are allowed to hold shares of that. But the example you use, which is buy a Picasso, hang it up in your house, you wouldn't be allowed to do that because you have the benefit of enjoying the artwork or showing it off to your friends. Uh -huh. So then over. the most common vehicle or the most common investments that you would see. So, but actually we'll come back to that in a second. If I look at this from an entrepreneurial tax component tax strategy right so one of the issues some occasionally we'll talk about tax strategies and ideas on here just because as AJ and I have become more successful over the years we found that almost nobody even CPAs often don't have great tax strategy or tax planning for entrepreneurs there's still a limit to how much you can put into an IRA whether it's a traditional or it's self-directed right and so you, you can't it's not like you can't double dip here each year you can just put it either in a traditional IRA or you could put it in self-directed, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's just all IRAs. These are just the types of IRAs. So my own vision is that sometime in the next few years, people will say there's traditional IRAs, there's Roth IRAs, as you mentioned, you had when you were 22, and then there's alt-capable IRAs or self-directed IRAs. It, it's just not the known third one, but it's just, they're all different types of IRAs yeah. and so forth. So you're right. What's you the can limit? put money in. The limit for 2022 is $6,000. If you're under the age of 50, then you can do another 1,000. In 2023, and this is all inflation adjusted, so that's been kind of nuts this year and probably heading into next, that you, next year you'll be able to put away 6,500 into an IRA if you're under the age of 50. 
because it's just adjusting up for inflation. But remember, most of these accounts and probably a lot in your audience, Rory, that the reason why there's so much money in IRAs is that most people actually sock away a lot of money in some sort of stint in a corporate world before going out on an entrepreneurial journey. So myself included, I worked for Merrill Lynch slash Bank of America for a decade and I contributed larger amounts than 6,000. It was less than at that time for IRAs in a 401k, then the company provided a match. And then when I left Merrill Lynch, that account is able to be rolled into my own IRA in my name. And it had much more than if I'd been able to just put away three, four or $5,000 per year by the time I was there and so forth. So most IRA money is actually old 401k. Old 401k money that then when you leave the company, it can't be in that 401k and then it gets moved into an IRA. Right. You're able to leave it if you want, but you're even more restricted because that company you know, probably only offered you 20 mutual fund choices. And then if you move to an IRA at a major brokerage house, then you can buy any public stock that you want. And then if you are having a discussion to potentially buy real estate or invest in cryptocurrency or a small investment in your friend's business, then you would need a self-directed IRA. So that's kind of the evolution. Right. Yeah. And, and so you know, a couple of the things, and just correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, as I think about this, I'm going, all right, if I want to start investing in real estate, which typically takes a lot of money, right, to get going, is saying part of the way that I can access capital is to pull it from my own retirement account. Whereas normally, if I pulled money out of my retirement account, I would get penalized. But in this mechanism, you could convert from your traditional IRA into a self-directed IRA And now I have capital that I can use to go out and buy real estate as an example, right? Exactly. You just can't buy the one that you described, which is a vacation home that you might personally use sometimes on your own up to a certain number of days. But the good news for your audience is that you could actually use a self-directed IRA to buy a vacation home that you permanently rent out on Airbnb. And any of us in your audience can actually go to your vacation home. It's an investment for you. And it's a maybe like a getaway for us. For example, you just can't use it. Even the business and the business can't benefit from it either. Like, can you buy a commercial property that your business is in and the commercial property is in your self-directed IRA? You can't do that either because if you control that business, then you can't do it. But for example, if you bought a commercial property and you wanted to lease space to my business, I have no connection to your IRA or to you personally uh, from a just a relationship status. And then I could be your tenant paying a market rate. The basic rule of thumb to maybe make it easy is think that anything that you have inside of an IRA, whether self-directed or traditional, it just has to be purely an investment. It can't be something that you you know derive personal benefit from that we talked about earlier, or that you get you get any sort of benefit from. It has to be arm's length you know, from you. It has to be purely an investment. And then that's when the government allows you the opportunity to defer those taxes for years, decades, uh, and maybe even longer. Yeah. And then so when you think about the type, the common types of investments that somebody would do here, one of the things that is potentially interesting to me about a self-directed IRA is, first of all, you're self-directing it. So you have more control over like what's going on there. Mm-hmm. You're going, yeah, I'm interested in real estate. I want to do real estate. Or I'm interested in crypto. I, w- I want to do crypto. Or I'm interested in you know whatever. But there tends to be more risk. A private company would be another thing, right? Like I want to invest some money in my friend's company. I can't do that in my normal IRA. So I'm going to open a self-directed IRA and do it through there. You know, it's more risky, but then also it grows. Like it probably, you know, it has the chance of growing much more than 
typically maybe, you know, an investment that you would have that's like a public security, right? So exactly, there's more flexibility. It gives you a chance to have bigger wins as well as typically bigger losses. Like, sure. So what are the other like major types of investments that people are doing inside of a self-directed? Does that mean real estate? You got real estate, crypto, private companies. If I want to invest in my buddy's mm-hmm. business, what are the other big ones? Another big one is, so the industry itself is, goes all the way back to the 70s. So IRAs were essentially created in 1974. So for probably the first 20, 25 years, the only IRAs that were not offered by the major brokerage houses to do public stocks, let's say self-directed IRAs for the first two decades were probably only created to do real estate investments, private credit investments, and probably precious metals. So maybe another one that we didn't talk about was actually investing in, let's say, gold, for example, like people held gold inside of IRAs. So that was a big industry, maybe less so now. And again, you can't hold the gold bar in your house while it's in your IRA. You have to actually have a custodial provider to keep it in a vault for you. But remember, these were created in the 70s and 80s. So at that time, oddly enough, that was probably the last very high inflationary environment. And people kind of looked at tangible assets like real estate and assets that might hold their value for the long haul, like precious metals. So the industry actually developed around those asset classes first. So that's that's interesting. So then basically, you know, the market conditions back then were maybe similar to what we may or may not be heading towards, but certainly recently interest rates have been going up and things like that. And so you're saying that people, you know, sort of tend to start to look more towards alternative investments and these kinds of seasons. And I do want to go back and say that, you know, I talk a lot and people always say that, you know, all alternative investments may be, you know, may be riskier than public investments. And I don't know if that's actually the case because, you know, we just talked about that if you did cryptocurrency or investing in a small private business, yes, that may be riskier than buying an S&P 500 company like Tesla uh, or Microsoft, for example, or Johnson & Johnson, McDonald's. But you know, I think it might be argued that as we record this today, Tesla is down 65% year to date so far, you know, heading into the end of 2022. That's 63, 65% is down year to date. And even when what you might consider like the confluence of very bad events for real estate, I'd be hard pressed to think that a single family home has dropped 65% in value, you know, just this year. So it could be argued that tangible investments, some of which you could do in a self-directed IRA actually might be considered you know, relatively more stable than some investments you do in the public markets. So some alternative and private deals, yes, maybe more, I guess you could say risky, but that riskiness is usually due to either you're investing in an early, not yet mature company, or there's an illiquidity issue with that investment. But, you know, sometimes if you're buying something tangible, like precious metals or real estate, I would say that that actually is very good. And and right now, we talked about this before recording. There's $15 trillion in IRAs in America. Almost all of it is invested in stocks and mutual funds right now. And if there aren't providers like mine that allow people to get into some more tangible investments, well, that's a risk to the American public at this point because they have nowhere to go. Even bonds are down actually 15% year to date right so, now in the US. Uh huh. The other thing, of course, is that it's physical. I mean, if real estate drops in value, I still actually have something physical that's there. That's a big difference. A big difference. It's tangible. You can see it versus a piece of paper that may or may not you know, represent an actual stake in an actual mature company that's publicly traded. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so 
when you look at like, how do you see people? Okay, let's stay on the self-directed IRA for a second. Sure. Then I want to talk a little bit more about tax strategy and things. But are there any other major benefits to a self-directed IRA that we haven't talked about yet? I just think that self-directed IRAs to me are maybe very similar to your audience. Your listeners, a lot of people are pursuing their passions or what they want to do. They don't want to work for a 100 to 200 or 2,000 or 200,000 employee company any longer and they go out on their own. I think self-directed IRAs are almost the embodiment of being able to invest in things that you know about, that you care about, and so forth. I mean, you could do that through your public stock investing and say you believe in climate change, so you invest in Tesla, for example. You hate supporting the cable company, so you buy Netflix. But in a self-directed IRA, people can really say that, you know, I'm going to use my own capital support a local business if they would take an investment from me to be a passive partial owner of this or real estate in a town. So one of our first customers at Rocket Dollar, I remember talking to her on the phone. She grew up in San Antonio. She went to business school in New York and was a management consultant with a great salary and said, you know, I actually want to buy all rental properties in San Antonio, like where I grew up. I live in New York. I live in a nice apartment here, great salary. But I would feel so much better if I know that I bought four homes with my IRA there and were able to let families rent it and live and raise their children in a house that I owned. It's an investment for me. I'm making money, making gains, making income on a monthly basis. But I also know that there's four families that live in these homes as well and so forth. And I remember thinking, wow, that was huge. I mean, you know, yes, you may feel some benefits on investing in a public company, but nothing like that. She knew these people, you know, they would otherwise live in an apartment. Right. But now they can live in a home with a backyard and she knew their kids. And she's like, this is the best of both worlds. I'm making money. It's an investment for me. And I'm able to provide households like real homes with real backyards and real neighborhoods for four families and where I grew up. What happens with the cash flow on that real estate? So the property itself is held in the self-directed IRA. It's throwing yep. off rental. Is that flow through his personal income or does that have to stay inside the IRA somehow? Everything stays in the IRA. So IRAs that are self-directed are exactly the same as IRAs that hold public stock. So if you own a stock that pays a dividend and you bought it in your IRA, that dividend stays in the IRA, unless you're over 59 and a half, at which point you could maybe decide to get that distributed to you and then you pay taxes on it because you can control that. But if you're collecting 1500 in rent times four homes in your IRA, 6000 a month, that 6000 just accumulates inside of your IRA. And what we find with our customers is that they end up getting to like, hey, now I got $50,000 after one year of owning these four properties, I can go do another deal. Maybe not real estate, but now I'm going to go buy a $50,000 investment into this real estate syndication for storage units. And so where they build up cash, just like if you owned a bunch of dividend stocks inside of your current IRA, after a couple of years, you'd have a bunch of cash inside. You either redeploy it back into something, or if you're old enough, you might take it as income and just pay taxes on it while leaving the rest of the property in the IRA in this case. Uh-huh. That's and the tax strategy component that we were kind of uh, hinting at. Uh-huh. Right. So it's staying in there. And then can you pay the expenses of managing the property out of the IRA? If you own real estate, everything is done with the IRA dollars. So again, you don't mix and mingle in that sense. So that's one of the things about owning real estate is everything is done in there. And that's actually how we're structured at Rocket Dollar. I kind of liken our account to sort of like an IRA bank account. And you set yourself up to pay property manager, landscaper, You know, if you cover some of the bills, for example, for your rental properties, 
you do it from the IRA dollars. You don't do it with Rory Vaden regular dollars for a property inside of an IRA. You have to keep it one or the other. And that's why a lot of our people, maybe but your like people property, as well. Property taxes, landscaping, capital improvements too? Everything, yeah. Uh-huh. And so it all just happens. This money's just staying over there. But then any cash flow that you're getting, and then anytime you sell, if you sell the property, then that money has to stay in the R and it has to stay in there until you're 59 and a half. Yeah. Well, that's a question. You can pull it out before 59 and a half. There's just massive penalties, right? Hi, it's AJ Vaden. And thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. You would pay whatever income taxes are due on that money. If Let's say it originally was a 401k. You never paid taxes on any dollar in a 401k, and now it's an IRA. If you pull out a $300,000 cash value and you're under 59 and a half and you've never paid taxes, you will add that to your taxable income for that all year. That yeah, year. all at once. But the beauty of IRAs, just so you know, is once you become 59 and a half, you could decide to take out as much as or as little as you like to supplement uh, you know, your own living standard or needs. So if you created, let's say, 15,000 in income, but you want to keep the properties, you could just take that 15,000 out when you're 60 years old and, and use that to supplement against like other income sources you have. That's what our customers that. are doing. I didn't follow that part. So after 59 and a half, you can take out any amount in your IRA that you want that's available in cash. And whatever you take out, if you haven't paid taxes, you will just add that to your taxable income for that year. So if you decide that you want an extra 5,000 a month because you have two properties that generate 2,500 in rental income, you could, if you're 60 years old, for example, just take that 5,000 every month and then you'll and it effectively taxable have no, income. It's just taxable income. But remember, you were able to roll that. Maybe you bought those properties 20 years ago and so forth. You didn't liquidate the property. You're just taking a distribution on the income from that property. Right. Which is an advantage at that point, because now you have turned your retirement account into an income stream that goes forever and ever, which theoretically you would have also from dividends, I guess, if you were in a public market or whatever. So then how do companies buy real estate inside of their businesses? And how do entrepreneurs typically buy their second homes? Like from a tax you know, advantage place, how do you see those kind of tend to be structured? Yeah, they don't really do. If it's an IRA, they don't do that. And they, they you know, again, we talked about it earlier. They wouldn't really commingle. Yeah. So it, this uh, doesn't. So now we yeah. now we have to leave the self-directed <clears throat> IRA. By the way, y'all, I haven't mentioned this yet, but so Henry's company is called Rocket Dollar. If you go to brandbuildersgroup.com/slash/rocket, that's our affiliate link where you can check this out and you can learn about it. And uh, like you said, it's a ridiculously low thing. It's like three hundred and sixty bucks or something at the time of this recording one-time fee, and then a small monthly, like 15 bucks a month. And that helps you deal with the compliance and have this vehicle and this account open. And it gives you some other features and stuff that allow you to sort of 
it becomes the mechanism, I guess, the vehicle at which you can like actually do this and move money around. So I guess, and then we're leaving, now we're leaving that conversation yeah. behind. So we have to leave the conversation of the self-directed IRA. When you start saying, okay, what are some of the tax strategies I can do as a company if I'm a high earning you know, entrepreneur because my personal brand is crushing it and you're generating millions of dollars in speaking fees or your membership site or your royalties or your course sales. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, I got to think about ways that I'm lowering my taxes. I might also be wanting to buy a building or some commercial property. Yes. Uh, and then also vacation homes. So like moving in that conversation, what are some of the common ways you see people move down that path? The big one, and this is actually a very known thing for a lot of your small community and regional banks here in the US. They love actually financing successful cash flowing business owners to buy a commercial property that they may use up to 30%-ish of the building. So let's say you purchase a 10,000 square foot building in the suburbs of Nashville or the suburbs of Austin. And I have friends that actually, where I live, I, I have a bunch of friends that actually own these types of buildings. And then they run their small business in roughly 10, 15, 20, 30% of it. And the bank is actually happy to finance that. So the business owns the property or the business owner, in this case, um, your audience listener, would buy that property and actually have a lease agreement with your business for 30%. And then you'd rent out the remaining 70 in the bank and they help pay that mortgage. And in 10 years time, because commercial loans are, are not amortized over 30 years, in 10 years time, you now might own outright this building for $6 million while actually using a normal known expense on a monthly basis for your business. Because right now, all of these businesses are probably paying some uh, sort of rent right now, but instead, why not pay yourself? the rent and have it pay down that loan. And 10 years later, you own this $6 million building in the suburbs of Nashville, for example. I see a lot of that. That has nothing to do with IRAs, but I think that's a great business strategy. Maybe better than the vacation home because it's a little... I think that's something that's a little more amenable to the local community banks that that do that a lot right now. And so in that case, you then start a separate business, like a separate LLC that owns this commercial property that's then renting like 30% of it, you're saying. The part that you need, yeah. Back to this other business that you own, which is like, let's call it your main business. Mm -hmm. And then the other 70% of that space, this new LLC is now in the business of renting out that space to help cash flow the mortgage on the building. Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. I see that quite a bit. So that's probably like in and of itself, like a, you know, like maybe a piece that I guessed right for you and your audience. But that happens a lot. And banks love that. They don't always like it if you're the hundred percent tenant of the entire building, because again, that's a concentration risk of sorts and so forth. Uh-huh. Very known here. Lots of, I would say, these sort of like small businesses that are cash flowing. They do this and they know it's just another asset that they'll own outright and they could choose to keep that building or they could choose to sell that building 10 years down the road. And if you think about it, you're going to run your business and you're already allocated to pay X percent of in expenses for rent for the next 10 years. This is a way to just get, you know, use it to create equity. Uh Uh-huh. Now you have a separate business that you got to manage and the rental income from the other tenants, the other 70% of the building. Now that's a new business that has its own sort of income and tax implications. But and so generally the goal is to at least cash flow the mortgage for 10 years and then 10 years you net now you have an asset that you own outright that you you can sell. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I see that quite a bit. And then you know if you don't want to be too actively involved in that business, you can bring on a partner. You could just be very sort of 
integrated with a property manager that's experienced. I mean, at the end of the day, most people probably want to concentrate on their primary business. They're not in the business of running multiple businesses and so forth, but that's just a strategy. The other one I would say, this is maybe more specific to the business owner and doesn't involve needing another outside thing, is that if you're a very successful cash flowing business and you have a small group of employees, let's say anywhere from five to maybe 20, but these are you know, maybe even up to 50, a lot of people don't do this. And this goes back to my pre-fintech days, but I would encourage business owners to actually look at things beyond a 401k. Like uh, we don't have them as much in America anymore, but pension plans are actually very, very good vehicles for business owners to accumulate a large amount of money for themselves while still having an attractive benefit to keep your key people for not just two years or five years, but probably 10 and 20. I mean, that's another problem we have in, you know, today, probably being a business owner is it's very hard to retain employees. Most people think that they're going to stay two years at a place and then go from job to job to job. But, you know, you and I, Rory, we probably know a lot of businesses where they've had their core group of people with them for a decade or longer. And those tend to be very successful businesses. And if that person sets up a small business pension plan, typically the owner, if their spouse is involved, they could put away over $100,000 a year to themselves and shield it from taxes while then providing a smaller benefit to the employees in the form of a guaranteed pension. But over the course of 10 years, you'd be able to sock away like a seven-figure amount that would turn into a guaranteed income stream. Lesser known, I used to set up a lot of those back in the early, you know, kind of 2000 to 2012 timeframe. Now, these businesses. and so pension plan, when you say pension plan, define pension plan for me, because when I think pension plan, I think very large entities and big structures. I don't think small businesses. I get what you're saying is the mechanism here is that by introducing this benefit to all of your employees or some portion of your employees, you've now created a way for you to put more money away each year into retirement accounts so that you don't have short-term taxes. You don't get to have that money but you don't have to pay taxes on it. And now that money, you have a larger and larger pile that's growing tax deferred, <laughs> not limited by the normal thresholds of like the 401k and the IRA, which are much, much lower, right? So I follow you there. Sure. Like what does pension plan mean? Yeah, so pension plan means essentially, this is a plan where only the business contributes on behalf of every employee. So you are required to cover every eligible employee. So if you have 10 people in the business, Let's say it's a spouse and a couple that basically own the business. The couple might be in their mid to late 40s. The other eight employees may average age only 25. So if you do a pension plan, it's adjusted for accumulating retirement. So every year you have an administrator and they tell you that, hey, your business, you need to put $200,000 or $150,000 as your contribution for the whole company's plan, all 10 people. But because you're older and you're more highly compensated, maybe 90% of that money goes to you and 10% goes to the other eight people. But they're happy because they actually have a guaranteed retirement benefit down the road. You know, Pension plans actually do exist for small businesses. I think they're going to make a comeback here over the next like several years, but not at the big gigantic companies or government or let's say you know municipal type employers. But it's a powerful tool and you have a lot of audience members who you just said that maybe they're just crushing it with their course sales or their speaking engagements. And this is a 10-person business and let's say the couple that run it, they're usually a couple decades older than the average employee at that business. They could put away a big amount for tax benefit for retirement uh, for a guaranteed income stream. 
and shield themselves from current income right now. The great thing about making a million dollars in income is you made a million dollars in income. The problem is you're probably going to end up netting only 650,000 of that income if you make all 1 million. Right. And the other thing is a lot of these, if they're small businesses, they don't have tons of employees and tons of, you know, you might have a couple assistants or whatever. Like, it's not like you have five people on the payroll that make a quarter million dollars a year doing, you know, highly, you know, complex C-level type jobs. So you might have a great core group of eight people that average income is 70,000. And if you're, let's say, running the business and taking more and you're older, you would find that you would be putting away probably a six-figure amount for yourself and you're still doing right by those employees. Now, you still you're, have to have a lot of cash flow. That's the problem is that you've got to have the cash flow, but you're yeah. either going to pay it to the government in taxes or you're going to pay it to your employees as a benefit to them exactly. and, and to yourself. So like that money is not going to stay in your pocket either way, unless you do this. So if you, is a defined benefits plan, is like a cash balance plan, is that the same thing as a pension plan? Defined benefit pension plan, uh, similar cash balance is a type of pension plan that is kind of a, it looks a little bit like a 401k, looks a little bit like a defined benefit pension plan and so forth. Like that's getting a little bit into the weeds, but for people that are your audience, if they say that, you know, I am one of these people, I'm more highly compensated than the general employee who's on my team. And I'm also maybe generally older. If they look into this, they might find that if they can sustain the cash flow, and of course, after they work with you and AJ, surely that's going to happen right away in time that they'll have this great business. They may say to themselves that this is a way to like, you know, really have the benefit down the road because otherwise you're going to get taxed very heavily today. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, the only reason I know defined benefit plan is because that's come up several times with our, and in some of our like high level mastermind circles with some of our higher level clients is we're always, we're telling them. So I, it's interesting. I didn't equate that to pension plan, but it's the same vehicle, which it's effectively a completely legal mechanism by which you can increase the limits, the thresholds of what you would normally be able to invest into tax deferred accounts like a 401k or an IRA. And you get to provide this awesome benefit for your employees, which is that you're contributing to their retirement in a small business. That's pretty wild because you go, man, I'm working with a small business. My benefits package is like, as good, if not better, than some of the biggest companies out there. You, you know, it's a really cool thing. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, we were talking. We were introduced by Jason, and I was just reading his book, which is basically showing business owners and companies and corporations how they might take advantage of hiring into that Gen Z, you know, generation for people younger. There's two levers. If they're younger and they have lower salaries, it is something to consider. If if you're the small business, very stable with your business and cash flows, that's how you could put away. I mean, we just talked about IRAs allow you to put away six, seven thousand dollars a year, seven thousand if you're over fifty. Four hundred one ks allow you to put away twenty thousand. This is how people put away one hundred, one fifty, two hundred thousand and shield it from taxes, which is why it probably comes up in your high level mastermind groups. Uh huh. Yeah. And you said four hundred one k limits like twenty thousand. Right. It'll be a uh, twenty two thousand five hundred next year, but it's twenty thousand five hundred this year. So yeah, that's something to ask about, and it is the kind of thing where it's like no one ever told us that, and you don't know to ask about it. Now you know the thing is, you got to be careful. Is you have to commit to it for a certain number of years, right? So you have to like lock it in. So you need to have stable cash flows. But that um, is true. That's a so that's a good point. And. You know what's funny is I've made my entire, I've always, I've been in this industry for over 20 years. And oddly enough, someone asked me this one time, he said, you know, you've done it this whole time that you technically never recommend an investment strategy or an investment itself. I said, exactly. 
I have this belief that people are going to invest in things, whether it's in the private markets or the public markets already. They're going to do what you know is appropriate for them. And all I'm saying is that, look, if you think about how you hold that money, whether it's in an IRA, a pension plan, a 401k, that same investment that you are going to do, if you hold it in a better way, you'll actually make usually somewhere between 20 to 50% more per year on that investment. You know, whether you invest in the S&P 500, someone likes that. Someone wants to invest in Tesla. Another person wants to invest in real estate, crypto, or private businesses. If you hold it the right way, and I show you how to do it, you'll make 20, 30, 40, 50% more per year yeah. on the investment you were already going to do. That's not my job to recommend the, the investment to you. That's your advisor's job or your own decision to make. But people don't pay nearly enough attention to how they hold investments. Yeah. And I think part of where the magic is, is going, if I take that money as income and I pay taxes on it, I could still invest that money into my friend's company. I could still invest that money into crypto. And if I hold it for longer than a year, I'm still only paying capital gains tax. The magic though, is if I do that through the self-directed IRA, all of the money that I would be paying in taxes now stays in the investment and it rolls and it rolls and it rolls and it rolls. Right. And that's like a pretty, like over the course of time, that's a monumental, you know, impact. So exactly. You're rolling a dollar. You're a hundred cents whole of dollar. your one dollar is going in. If you do it after maybe 60, 65, 70, 75 cents of that dollar. So over time, that holding period, you're compounding on either 65 cents or you're compounding on a dollar. There's a big difference. Yeah, just by the technicality of how it's held. Now, the now the other thing is you don't have access to the money. So that's the big thing is like it's in here, it's staying in here, it's not going anywhere. Well, the beauty of private investments is they typically are liquid anyway. So the reason why there's a premium there is because they aren't quite as liquid as being able to buy and sell a hundred times a day or a week, let's say some public stock. So you actually get compensated for that. So the way economics works, you're getting a slight, you know, premium for the ability not to always be hundred percent liquid, which you know, right now, maybe it's been proven that it's probably a good thing. You know, you read a lot of articles that say that 2022 is the year where you may not want to like overly look at your investment statements. You're probably better off just focusing on your business and, and building your audience and growing your business. Yeah. Um, reinvesting. The investments are a long-term thing. So don't really worry about what it's going to say here at the end of Q4 in 2022. Henry, how do we buy our vacation home? Like what's the smartest way to go about doing that or to think about that? Yeah. Well, inside, again, inside of an IRA, it wouldn't be a vacation home that you use. So that yeah. is one thing that if you just know that there's this lock solid investment opportunity, but something that you could do with not having on your own, then you can use IRA dollars. If you want to buy one on your own, I mean, this is, I have no association with this company, but I have friends and, and I've seen these particular platforms develop, but where you might actually just fractionally own a vacation home. So it's modern digital twist on probably timeshare, but only luxury properties. I just think it's safer because for me, I'm a big proponent of how you hold the investment and maybe if at all possible, not locking up you know all the capital at one time and at which point if you own the entire investment with a lot of locked up capital, you exponentially increased your risk. So maybe you can buy one thirty second of a luxury property through one of these digital platforms instead of you coming up with a 20% down payment and making sure that you tell your tax advisor that you only stayed in the place for less than 21 days a year and tracking everything. That's that's risky to me. I think that I do this myself. I think you should actually look at some of these digital platforms where you could just pay you know a set like $40,000 
for example, and own one thirty second and get your allocation of time to the property. The one, you know, in my mind, I think about is uh, Park City, Utah. Interesting. For example, because a twenty percent down payment on a nine hundred thousand dollar, you know, luxury property there, small two bed, two and a half bath cabin. That's a lot of capital. We're talking over a hundred thousand dollars in down payment plus the risk of owning it outright. Versus, and I specifically think of Park City because there were wildfires there that severely impacted some of these properties in like a Lake Tahoe or Park City. What if that was yours? And you and I are respectively seventeen hundred and thirteen hundred miles away from there right now. Uh huh. Yeah. Risky. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I find like it feels like it's pretty hard to cash flow some of these high end luxury properties like when you add in all the property tax and all the maintenance and the hoas and all that sort of stuff it's like yeah and you're limited from you know the amount of time you can actually physically be there uh, in a sense yeah anyway and you know people are someone sees this as a problem to a certain subset of the population just like rocket dollar does as well and you know you just stick to like very tried and true ones, which is that maybe the outlay of capital is limited, right? And so forth. So that might be a way to do it through one of these platforms. I don't own a property, you know, in my name fully outside of my primary residence that I'm talking to you from right now. But do take advantage of these platforms because it's a known limited amount of capital, known limited exposure to me. And then everything I can, I consider every investment I do, private, public, how I hold it. You know, I got eight days here. So I think a lot about you know, where I should sort of dole out different things. Are there some like other advantages I can take right now before the end of the year? Interesting. I have a very limited skill set, Rory. I think about this. I've done this for 22 years. I'm like the, I always think about optimization of how you might hold an asset. That's sort of how I've been trained. You're not an active advisor. You're not really an active advisor anymore, right? No, I sold that practice, you know, prior to the robo-advisor, you know, so that was back in 2014. You know, we had 2.6 billion in assets that we managed on behalf of individuals and businesses, but I sold my stake and it's a conflict to do that right now. It's actually an impact thing. It's funny that you just asked that question here kind of as we wind down. I really just thought that by building a fintech product company, I can actually impact more people than I could ever by just selling some little fractional portion of my business week yeah to certain folks so i really thought about it that way it's that it's been successful for me but the real thinking is that if i create rocket dollar the platform i can work with 1 million people and billions of dollars if i basically just you know advise people for time you know, on an assets under management basis i can maybe work with at most 30 families effectively yeah well and that's part of why i thought to have you on the show because you know we have advisors we love we trust lots of clients that are advisors right we've got lots of advisors but yeah. it, you know since you're not actually you're incentivized to like sell any product other than rocket dollar it was like hey let's bring henry on and ask him some of these questions of course again y'all if you go to brandbuildersgroup.com rocket you can learn about this and how to open the accounts a few hundred bucks very low monthly fee and then henry's team is taking care of the the back end, and now you're free to self-direct your own retirement investments in a tax-deferred way. And there's some really cool things. And and it does seem like the way the world is shifting in the economy, et cetera, it's kind of like, it's important to at least know that this vehicle exists. And that's why we wanted to talk about this subject. And that's why we found you, Henry. So you've been so you. generous with your knowledge your wisdom, your experience. Thank you so much for that time. And man, we look forward to following this journey. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm glad I was able to share a little bit and explain some of these self-directed IRAs, which will become a big, big thing over the next uh, five to seven years. Yeah. Yeah. We think so too. All the best, my friend. Thank you. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 